The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Welcome, everyone, to the Writer's Block Podcast, Season 2, Episode 24. I'm your host, Brandon Laurie, and alongside me, I do have all my guys here. I got David Hellman, Brandon Clements, and Chris Halling is back. Uh, we're coming off of the heels of a Kansas City Chiefs Super Bowl win back-to-back, uh, coming over the San Francisco 49ers by a score of 25-22. to And I mentioned that to start because that's sort of going to be the drop back of our conversation, uh, if you will, for tonight. Kind of looking at it from the lens of the Cowboys, some sort of lessons that they can take away from the Chiefs, the 49ers, positive, negative, to end up getting to the Super Bowl next year in 2024, some sort of blueprint to start uh, the offseason with. So uh, we will kind of talk a little bit about the Mike Zimmer news um, at the front end and the back end. We know Chris wasn't here last week. I know we touched a lot on the stuff with regards to Cowboys defensive coordinator candidates. Um, I think we were all in agreement that Mike Zimmer, I know, of course, B1, you were talking about Ron Rivera, but in the consensus, we really were kind of harking on um, Mike Zimmer being the DC. But Chris, I want to get your perspective on it. Cause again, you're just like me, a younger fan, somebody who hasn't been covering the team for very long. And so defensive football was kind of revolutionized under Dan Quinn. Now that he's leaving and Mike Zimmer stepping in, what's sort of your perspective on all that? Yeah, yeah. It seemed like um, there were a lot of fans um, on social media who were pretty, you know, like happy about Dan Quinn not, you know, like not returning to um, be the coordinator for the Cowboys. And, you know, me and you, Brandon, I saw you on your um, Twitter. Um, uh, We both were kind of, you know, like, hey, let's not celebrate too hard here because, you know, Dan Quinn really did, you know, completely do a 180 with this defense. I mean, I mean, it was one of the worst defenses in franchise history under Mike Nolan. And Dan Quinn came in and had them at, at the top of the um, ranks in sacks and takeaways. And, you know, it's going to be a hard, you know, like role to replace heading into next season. But I think Mike Zimmer is a good choice for the job. He's, you know, like he brings a hard-nosed kind of mentality. And I think that he's going to get the best out of your defensive players. I think that he also thrives a lot off of having good linebackers. And that's something that I think the Cowboys kind of sh- – you know, I, I felt like it was one of their weak spots this past season was the linebacker position, and I think that it, it's going to be good for the Cowboys heading forward. And and um, one thing that we're going to get into is that this um, previous Cowboys defense under Dan Quinn kind of struggled against the Shanahan offense, especially this past season. And I think that Mike Zimmer is going to um, be able to bring some factors that may, you know, um, um, match up a little bit better against those kind of offenses. And I think we should also mention, too, there were a lot of things happening. Again, as this comes out on Tuesday, Monday, as we're recording this, Monday morning, a lot of people were kind of having some concerns because the deal didn't get done with Mike Zimmer. Of course, it kind of came out Thursday night uh, during NFL honors that they were kind of finalizing the details of a contract. Over the weekend, nothing happened. Nothing was ever reported. Uh, And then, you know, Monday morning, Rex Ryan comes out uh, actually on the Super Bowl on Sunday and says that, oh, it doesn't look like the deal is done with Zimmer. I wouldn't really kind of call that a a signed, sealed, delivered deal yet. Um, And then Adam Schefter has to go on Pat McAfee's show and basically say, it seems like, in my opinion, this is just my opinion speaking, it seemed like Rex Ryan wanted to kind of break some sort of news, keep himself in the conversation. Um, They're clearly, uh, Cowboys had some interest. They, of course, reached out to him originally, but it, it felt like that, He just wanted to kind of keep things afloat, keep his name in the hat, Uh, because as we're recording this right now, 
Um, we have uh, David Moore of Dallas Morning News came out with an article, and he said, uh, quote, Zimmer and the Cowboys laid all that to rest on Monday talking about the contract, finalizing the details. He says, don't be fooled by Ryan, uh, Ryan's public decla- declarations. The Cowboys never waffled on Zimmer. Two people with knowledge of the club's thinking told the Dallas Morning News. Uh, this was simply about hammering out the details of the contract. So I think that really is all it was. Uh, we were talking about it a little bit last week, the benefits of having Zimmer and his scheme. Uh, but B1, just really quick, did you really think Rex Ryan was a consideration? We know the Cowboys had a lot of interest, a lot of love, as Schefter put it in his reporting, but it just doesn't seem like it was something that was ever going to happen once they said Zimmer was their guy. Yeah, I mean, it was it was interesting this morning. I was watching Pat McAfee's show, as I always do on, on my lunch break at the office, and, and I was sitting there. And I, I usually fast forward through or like different interviews and I saw Adam Schefter. So, and I trust Adam Schefter. I feel like he's, he's like, you know, him and, and, and uh, Woj, you know, and Shams, like there's all these, you know, great, great reporters out there that cover different sports. When Schefter says things, I, I do feel like majority of the time he's pretty much on the money. And I think the one thing I would say that I, I would say is a little, I would differ a little bit from, from B2 on that is, I, you know, I think he wouldn't, I don't think he would come out and say that, Rex, Rex and Jerry Jones, like they, you know, that Jerry Jones was enamored by by Rex Ryan, anything like that. I don't think he would come out and say that if the, if it wasn't a fairly true statement. How close was Rex to getting a deal done? I I would say probably not close. I think it was like Adam Shafter had put on the Pat McAfee show earlier today. It was more like okay, like there was there might have been a brief snag in the Mike Zimmer uh, negotiations because. There, there's a dollar amount that, you know, the Cowboys want to give Zimmer and there's a dollar amount that Zimmer wants, you know, the Cowboys to pay him and they have to hammer out the finer details. And, it, you know, from what Adam Schefter was saying, it was one of those deals where they didn't have it finalized. It was getting to the point where it was, you know, where it is now where it's been reported that obviously the deal's done. But it's, you know, Adam Schefter came out and said that the Cowboys did reach out, reach back out to Rex to see what his, you know, what his, his dollar amount is. And then, it's obviously it sounded like it wasn't a dollar amount figure that they were too privy on and they really finished the deal with Zimmer. I, I, I felt like even, even with all that chatter, it seemed like if it was reported that Zimmer was pretty much the guy and it was pretty much finalized, it was more of a hurdle. And, you know, some of the stuff of Rex Ryan, he is who he is. He, he likes the limelight. He is on, you know, he is an ESPN personality. So, you know, I, I take some of the stuff with a grain of salt, but if Adam Shafter's putting his name on certain things, I'll take I'll take him for his word for it. He's not gonna he doesn't want to lose his credibility, you know. So I I think there was there was discussions. I do think Jerry Jones likes Rex Ryan. I think it seems like the 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 part where he he's enamored by Rex Ryan was I feel like that's true. But at the end of the day, I think it was at that point it would have to have taken a a, 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 Cl- a Cliff Kingsbury type of deal where you know things fell apart at the last second for Rex to come in. I felt like maybe Rex. Rex was probably the guy over Ron Rivera is what I, my, my, you know, just speculatory thoughts on it. I feel like Ron Rivera was probably maybe the third choice. I don't know, but it seemed like it was probably Rex Ryan was probably going to be one B that's just based on the information that's been out there. And, um, but you know, I'm glad Mike Zimmer's here we hit on it last week. It's a, it's a great hire. And I'm looking, I'm looking forward to seeing that uh, discipline that he brings to the Cowboys because we got to get those penalties, uh, uh, those penalties shorted up a little bit because we've got to tighten things up. And I'm looking forward to Mike Zimmer's approach to it. I think the Cowboys defense is going to be really good next year. To put a bow on David Moore's uh, report, he said that were Dallas officials impressed by Ryan? Absolutely. He's a bold, engaging personality. He can win an interview, and he did. Uh, but once the decision was made to pursue Zimmer, there was no looking back. So I think two things could be true at the same time. Maybe they were covering their bases, kind of getting a second guy in line just in case something were to happen. I mean, that's always forward thinking. The Cowboys are a forward thinking franchise. They've shown that with the draft and how they approach sometimes with free agency. But um, Hellman, for you, and this will kind of transition into what we're talking about with the Super Bowl contenders and, of course, ultimately the Chiefs winning. You could see the power of a really good defensive schemed, uh, you know, a defensive coordinator in Steve Spagnolo, and then also with Mike Zimmer coming in. They have sort of similar philosophies when it comes to putting pressure on the quarterback. We saw that the Chiefs actually ended up winning the game, I think, in part because of that. Uh, you think that get, that gives you a little bit more confidence with Mike Zimmer coming in? We talked about his scheme and what that could be for the Cowboys moving forward and kind of maybe getting to that point where they can not only knock out the San Francisco 49ers next year, but ultimately get to the Super Bowl. Yeah, I think it's it's definitely something that um, gives a lot of 
I guess, confidence. Um, it, it's hard to really say, like, with 100% confidence just because Zimmer hasn't coached the last couple of years. Um, but very similar to Steve Spagnuolo and kind of a not necessarily their scheme, but similar in how they approach the game, how they like to draw things up. And between Spags and Zimmer, like, these are two lifelong defensive coaches. They've had plenty of success throughout their career. Um, both have been head coaches. Neither of them necessarily had the results that they wanted. I think Zimmer won a few more games uh, than, than Spags did with the Rams, but um, both guys who they know defensive football inside and out, they know, they know how to adapt, most importantly. Um, you know, the, the kind of defense that Spags was running back when he was with the Rams is different from what he ran with the Giants, is different from what he runs with the Chiefs. And, and he's shown an ability to adapt and grow. And even with Zimmer, throughout his career, he's shown the same thing. Um, you know, back when he was in Dallas, you know, he, he ran a 4-3, and then Bill Parcells became the head coach and said, we're going to keep you as a defensive coordinator, but we want you to run a 3-4. So he changed, and he ran a 3-4. And then he went to Cincinnati and had personnel to run a 4-3, and he went to that. And he's changed up his schemes, and both for the personnel, for what the head coach is wanting, um, and, and also just from a matchup perspective. Like, you know, all those different games as the Vikings head coach where he coached against the Packers – and he actually had some really good defensive results against the Packers, you know, during that time and, and was one of the very few coaches to consistently pull one over on Aaron Rodgers. And some of that was just, he showed a completely different game plan every single time he faced Aaron Rodgers. So it was like, you know, last time they played each other, the Vikings ran a ton of press man. And so, the, so they would come in with press man beaters and then they're playing a bunch of zone. And then the next time they come in, you know, expecting a bunch of zone and then they're, they're going back to man or they're, you know, disguising their coverages. And so, I mean, that's, that's something that the chiefs have had a lot of success with, with Spags is just the, the creativity he's brought to it and the way he can affect the quarterback. Um, and I mean, we saw this year, the chiefs had the best defense that they've had in the Patrick Mahomes era. And it turned out to really help because even though their offense kind of went through some, some lulls throughout the season, and especially in this game in the Super Bowl, I mean, they, they struggled all game but they were able to rely on their defense because they had a coach who knew what he was doing, who knew how to tailor it to their personnel. And they have some really good talent on there with Legarius Sneed, with um, with Nick Bolton at linebacker, with Chris Jones, who had a huge play late in the game and is just great in general. And Mike Zimmer is kind of a similar guy coming in and, and is now going to be getting a lot of different talent, whether it's Trayvon Diggs, Deron Blam, obviously Micah Parsons is, you know, the, the biggest name on there. So um, it's kind of funny because, like, when Mike McCarthy first took this job, a lot of people were comparing it to Andy Reid when he went to the Chiefs. And now we kind of find ourselves in a similar situation of comparing Zimmer almost to Spags. And, and I think that's uh, – I don't know if it'll necessarily turn out that way. I would really love if it did and the Cowboys just, you know, win three Super Bowls in five years. That would be a great trade-off. But uh, it, it is some nice symmetry there of, of kind of following that same path of bringing in that very established – coaching defensive mind like what Zimmer presents and now that Mike Zimmer is officially on board as the Cowboys DC maybe we'll hear in a few days how his staff is going to be shaken out um, we of course know that Aiden Dirty is now the Seahawks defensive coordinator we know Dan Quinn took Joe Witt Jr. so there's a few openings already on the Cowboys coaching staff on that side but it remains to be seen what Mike Zimmer wants to do. Maybe he still keeps on Al Harris. I think that would be a great move and, and uh, a great thing for the Cowboys. So we'll get into that next week if we hear a little bit more. But let's get into these lessons that the Cowboys can learn from the Super Bowl. Um, like I said, good, bad, indifferent, whatever you guys want to go with. I know, B1, we'll start with you. You were saying it was more philosophy approach. So what's the one lesson you take away that the Cowboys should should learn from and imply uh, to next year in 2024? Well, I'll jokingly use the Niners here for a second and uh, say uh, draft a seventh rounder and uh, get Brock Purdy. Uh, that's uh, that's that's obviously uh, item number one. And as as you heard on Pat McAfee's show today, Adam Schefter did put any naysayers out there that weren't sure about Brock Purdy's contract. He's under team control and he can't even get a new deal, so he's going to play under that really low contract for another season. So another another year of that kind con- of contract can allow the Niners to just keep what keep doing what they're doing, which is consistently, you know, double digit win seasons and get to the get to the Super Bowl and and, and again. I mean they're they're gonna be not a monster. But and, I mean that, that let's be honest, you know, seventh round picks and sixth round picks like a Tom Brady, those things don't happen regularly. So those are that's almost like a lottery ticket at that point. But um, you know, I'll just go through a quick timeline and and this is it, it's more of a it's a philosophy thing for me. So just in the last uh, year and a half, so we'll start back 
October 21st, uh, 2022. They traded for some some guy named Christian McCaffrey, and they gave up a second, a third, fourth, uh, and a fifth rounder for this year. So they gave up, you know, three picks in 2023, and then a pick in this upcoming draft to get one of the arguably the the best player in the game. I don't know if I don't know if anybody's gonna knock me on that one, but Christian McCaffrey is pretty darn good. So that's one player, uh, one player they acquired. They re-signed Nick Bosa to an extension through 2028, so they're locking up a guy that's one of the best edge rushers in the game. And then they went and traded for uh, Randy Gregory uh, in, in October of 2023 this year. And then about a month later, they traded a third-round pick for edge rusher Chase Young. So what all that means besides the the, the half-kidding part would you know, now in a seventh-round pick. So I like the approach of the Niners where they're not afraid to use their draft picks to go get players that they really like. I think I think the problem with the Cowboys sometimes, and yes, you you know people are going to argue with me and say, yep, oh well, they they did a, they got a fifth, they took their fifth round picks and got you know Stephon Gilmore and Brandon Cooks. But I mean, those are good. I would say those are good complementary pieces. Those aren't those aren't guys like a Chase Young, for example, or a Christian McCaffrey. Those are two different animals. Like Stephon Gilmore. You know, he's his better days were, you know, in the past. Like, he's still a good player, still for a fifth round pick that's serviceable. Brandon Cook had his moments this year, but again, the, the Cowboys got a guy like Chase Young for a third rounder, Christian McCaffrey for multiple picks uh, just back in 2022. Like, they, the, the approach that the Niners have, I, I watched what they do, and, and it's like John Lynch and company with the Niners. If there's a mood to be had to make their team better, and it's like, even if the, like, all of us can talk about like, oh, hey, they, they're going to, you know, bring this guy in or that guy in. The Niners do it. Like the Niners are not afraid to use their draft picks to go get established players. And here's the other thing. The Cowboys, historically speaking, you go back, you know, the last handful of drafts, the Cowboys have had at least six draft picks. You know, they've, they've drafted six players at a minimum for the last handful of years. It's not one of those things where they have one or two picks and that's it. Like they, they go heavy on the draft. I mean, I'm looking here. I mean, if you go back, you know, you go back to 2021, they had a first, a second, they had three thirds, two fours, a five, two sixes and a seven. Like that's a lot of draft capital that let's be honest. How many of those guys are going to hit, you know, hit on, I mean, yes. I mean, look at Calvin Joseph. That didn't work out. Osa's worked out. Chauncey's been for a third rounder, you know, kind of hit or miss. The point is the Niners are that team where if they see a guy on the market and they're like, okay, well, if, if we got to give up a second or a third round pick to acquire a guy of the caliber of a, a Christian McCaffrey or a Chase Young, they're not afraid to do it. And I think that I'm not saying the Cowboys need to throw away all their picks, like do what the, the, uh, the Rams have done in recent years, do the, uh, the whole uh, bleep them uh, picks approach uh, to things as we are a family friendly show. Don't want to, you know, put the other letter, uh, the other word in there, but um, you know, you don't have to go with that approach where you get rid of all your picks, but I would like to see the Cowboys be more aggressive in acquiring some more talent. They've, They've done a good job drafting, but sometimes you got to make a, a big splash and go get some big names. I know it hasn't always worked out. Like, you know, I know you guys are younger than me. I'm the elder statesman, but I do remember Joey Galloway. Like, that was a tough trade. That set us back a long time. And then the Roy Williams trade obviously didn't work out. So, uh, I mean, Claiborne, uh, 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 Morris Claiborne, you know, a handful of years back. I mean, there, there have been some attempts by Jerry, and it just it's fallen flat. But I feel like they can make a move and go get a guy that's, you know, like last year, for example, I know, you know, during the season, Chris, you know, Chris had mentioned it a few times, go get Derrick Henry, for example. No, I mean, you could go get him now, you know, without, you know, without having to do anything too crazy and except, you know, pay the guy. But um, you could go and make moves by trading. And I think for, for the Cowboys, be aggressive in the trade market. If there's, if there's a guy halfway through the season, that's, potentially available for a team that's they're not looking that great. They're probably not a playoff team. And they're just like, you know what, maybe we should start well, maybe we should blow the team up and, and uh, you know, you know, get some, get some draft capital. Why not strike on the strike on those more often? The Cowboys don't always do that. They they're known to just sit on draft picks and just draft guys that haven't, they're not really playing. So for me, use your draft capital a little bit more, go get players or like in this year's draft, if you want to use some of your draft picks, move up. If there's a guy that you really want, if you want an offensive lineman, 
You know, there's uh, uh, Alt from Notre Dame if you want a guy like that because Tyron Smith's, you know, long in the tooth. You know, Terrence Steele is who he is. Like, if you want to go get – if there's somebody you're in love with, go get him. Like, the Cowboys are built well enough right now where you don't need to use all your draft picks. Like, you can, you can package some picks, move up, go get a few quality guys, and that's it. You don't, you don't need to hit on every single draft pick. Like, you can just consolidate those picks – move up, get a few players instead of a bunch, and just that's then build your roster. The the Niners did lose. Yes, they lost the Super Bowl, as we know. It was a close game. They almost went to double overtime. But the Niners' approach to making moves and, and improving their team is something that every time they do something, I just want the Cowboys to – it's like that, that gif where you're like – it's like you're poking the stick at something, like, come on, do something. That's how I feel about the Cowboys sometimes. Like – I'm not expecting them to do what the you know what happened back in the day with the, with the Saints and Ricky Williams and giving up the entire draft. I'm not expecting that, but there's got to be somewhere in between where there's a little bit more aggressiveness uh, because the window the window for you know championships you know you know could be closing any time. So why not go all in, go get some players, go get some high end guys, and go after it. The team is close. They just need a couple players. Make it happen. Use that approach that the Niners are doing. Taylor made that, and they can beat the Niners next year. Now, the only pushback that I have, uh, and Chris, I'll turn it to you on this, is that the Cowboys don't have really any draft picks to kind of play with. I mean, they have a one, a two, a three, and two sevens. So I think if anything, in the same philosophy, uh, Chris, like it might not be trading draft capital, but it might be freeing up cap space, making some tough moves if they need to move on from someone like a Michael Gallup. This signed Dak Prescott to a long-term contract to free up that cap hit almost $40 million. If they could kind of move things around with that, um, that might be the approach. You know, maybe sign a big free agent as opposed to maybe trading draft capital, right? Yeah, yeah. I think that uh, the Cowboys are less likely, I think, to um, trade up and do something major in the draft just because they are kind of missing those, like, mid-round picks. But I think this is the free agency where you should, you know, try and create that cap space and really make that splash move. And whether that's a Derrick Henry, or if you want to even go in the division and pay a Saquon Barkley, I'm not pushing for that because, because, you know, I don't think he fits the need as much as a Derrick Henry in terms of just, you know, like a shorter rental, but a guy who's going to really find that, um, find that end zone and, you know, like really fix those red zone problems that, that the Cowboys had this um, past season. But yeah, no, like just from a philosophy standpoint, I agree with, um, B1 that, you know, I mean, it's, you know, like I was very frustrated at the trade deadline because pretty much every team in the NFC that was in the playoff race made a move or tried to do something to better their team. And the Cowboys, their biggest headline at that time was uh, signing Martavis Bryant to their practice squad. And, 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 you know, like at the time I got a little pushback, but I was like, this is nothing, you know, and, and it's proven to be nothing. I mean, he didn't play the whole season and I, I know that they uh, signed him to a futures contract, but, um, but I mean, like, regardless of this, it's, you know, like they're not making those moves that, that they're supposed to make it, um, uh, comparatively to those teams that are really contending now, and it's just hard to sit back and watch. You know, like the uh, the it's just hard to sit back and watch the Howie Roseman and the um Forty Niners and um all these different teams make these big moves that you know like they're in position to compete already, and they're you know stacking the talent and doing everything that they can to win now. And it just seems like the Cowboys are just like a little too prideful in their own guys sometimes, and they aren't willing to you know you know, go grab those guys who aren't already on the roster. And real quick, I just want to add something to that too. Like I, I know you mentioned, I know you mentioned B2 B on the, the draft picks. I understand that for this year, but as you'll see, teams will package future draft picks and draft capital. So that's, that was my point too. I wanted to just add, I just wanted to add that to it as well. I know they don't have a ton of draft capital this year, but teams and, and, and you, you've seen it with other, other franchises, they've packaged future draft picks you know, future ones, twos, and threes, for example, you can, I mean, you can use future draft capital to do it. I mean, it's a future one isn't necessarily as valuable, obviously, as a current one. Obviously, there's there's the sliding scale that everybody knows about. But if you package the other draft picks and future draft classes, you can do that. I mean, you're not going to do what the NBA does and do like, you know, 20, 2032, for example. But like you can package picks you know, like say in 2025 with that and go get, go get a guy like a Chase Young that was, you know, that the, the Niners just acquired. I just wanted to button that part up to it. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Yeah, no, and I agree. I think the philosophy is sound. I think the same approach, like I said, you could just take out the word draft picks and put free agent cap space and and kind of be the same way, being aggressive. Um, And listen, get creative. You know, trade down in the draft and then trade whatever you get and grab somebody. I mean, do whatever you can. I mean, the, the Cowboys have shown that they're savvy with that, taking a fifth round pick and, you know, I mean, draft day trades have, happened all the time they did that with Tavon Austin when they acquired him I believe it was player for player but still you know it's something that they've done day of draft and um, so they've they've shown that they could do it it's like they just have to actually do it get the capital and then go from there I I totally agree I just wanted to point it out where they might have more cap space rather than draft capital but I do think that the philosophy is sound regardless Um, Halman for you what's your lesson that you learned well I I think just to kind of to close out the the talk about like (laughs) The, the cap space and like being more aggressive at the trade deadline. Um, I mean, we, we, we tend to talk about this of like, you know, this is the right way to do it or this is the wrong way to do it. And I mean, for, for us, because we all follow the Cowboys, it's, you know, we, we can kind of get tunnel vision sometimes of like, well, the Cowboys have been doing this and they haven't gotten anywhere any farther in the playoffs. So like it, it can be easy to say that's the, that's that they're doing it the wrong way and they need to do it the right way. Um, I just wanted to point out since, you know, since Chris mentioned, you know, the Howie Roseman's you know, out there, like Eagles went exactly as far in the playoffs as the Cowboys just did. And they also had no division titles to show for it. So, I mean, they obviously did. they did Howie, make those moves and made it to the Super Bowl last season. You know, I mean, like they lost a lot of those players in free agency, but I think that a lot of the moves that they've made recently, yeah, it didn't, work in the long run because they didn't win the Super Bowl. But, I mean, I would do pretty much anything for the Cowboys to at least be there at the big game and have a chance. Well, and, I mean, like you said, they lost a lot of those players in free agency. That was also, you could argue, was Howie Roseman being too confident in the guys he had on his roster, being able to replace those guys on their team. Um, And then when he got to the trade deadline this past year, he was like, oh, N'Kobe Dean isn't a good linebacker. We have to go out and get Shaq Leonard. What did that do for him? We have to... Uh, Reed Blankenship isn't playing well as a safety. We got to go and get uh, uh, Kevin Byard. And that that didn't really do much for him either. At the time, we were like, "Oh, this is such a great move," and it, you know, sometimes it pays off and sometimes it doesn't. And and the Cowboys, to their own credit, I mean, they've had three straight playoff appearances. They they clearly are doing something right when it comes to building talented rosters. But you know, once you get to the playoffs, there's there's only so much that that a certain team can do. Um, so I don't, I don't really buy into like this. You have to do it this way. Or you have to do it this way. Um, and I mean, we did see the Cowboys get kind of aggressive this past off season when they made, made trades for Stefan Gilmore and Brandon cooks, like those were their big moves. And, you know, so that, that was kind of like, they weren't super active at the trade deadline because they had their guys and, and they liked where they were at. And the Eagles were like, you know, some of the moves we made in the off season have kind of backfired and they tried to course correct. And, um, and then of course they also, you know, the whole Matt Patricia thing, that was also just a, a huge, huge mistake. And that, I think, probably was one of the bigger problems of their season. But um, enough about that horrible team that, that plays in Philadelphia. Uh, we're talking about America's team and what they can learn from teams that actually made it to the Super Bowl. Um, and, and one thing that really stuck out to me in this game, and we kind of touched on it a little bit, you know, talking about like Mike Zimmer and C. Spagnuolo is, like, I just kind of – it was nice to see what it actually takes to beat these 49ers um, because so much of the conversation around this team over the last couple of years has been they're just so unstoppable. I mean, a year ago, they they lost in the conference championship game, 
And, you know, that, that wasn't really like any sort of blueprint of how to beat the 49ers because they lost Brock Purdy and they had, you know, what was essentially their fourth string quarterback come in on a whim. And they even had Christian McCaffrey having to throw some passes in that game. And so, you know, then the 49ers kind of the, the fans and even the players were saying in that game, like, yeah, this, like, this wasn't actually representative of who we are. You know, we would have had a better chance if, if Purdy was able to play. And then, they played the Eagles in the regular season this past year and they proved exactly that because they crushed them. They blew them out. And, you know, aside from that three game losing streak they had in the regular season, they were pretty dominant all season long. Um, You know, they had, you know, outside of that losing streak, they had the loss to the Ravens, which was, which was bad, but they also didn't have to face the Ravens again because the Ravens are allergic to playoff success. Um, And then they lost to the Rams when they had Sam Darnold in their quarterback. So like they, they were last year, they were, just absolutely dominant this year. They were absolutely dominant. And it was like, nobody in the NFC was able to stop them. And, and that's kind of what they were saying last year was like, if Purdy was healthy, nobody was going to be able to stop us on our way to the Super Bowl. and seeing the chiefs and the way that they handled it. Um, and especially defensively, like seeing the game plan that Spags came up with, um, you know, he, he, it was like really all focused on bottling up their run. I mean, he was, sending multiple guys every single time, run blitz after run blitz after run blitz. Um, one of our favorite guys, Bob Sturm, he had posted, and I, I know, uh, Brandon, you had, you had quote tweeted that as well, um, kind of the breakdown in, in coverage, uh, coverage splits that uh, Spags had used, and he called, he called cover zero tw- just over 21% of the time, cover one just over 40% of the time, those two percentages of those kind of coverages, no other team had even come close to that against these 49ers all season. Uh, He called man coverage just over 64% of the time. The only other team all season long that ran man coverage against the 49ers more than 60% was the Cleveland Browns. They ran it at 71%. Of course, that was the 49ers' first loss of the season. Statistically, it was their worst offensive performance all year long. Um, So... Steve Spagnuolo came into this game and said, we've got the guys to play man coverage against, you know, Debo, Samuel, Brandon, Ayuk. We're just going to line up. We're going to play press. You know, we're going to get in their face. We're going to throw them off their timing of their routes. And we're going to send extra guys so that if they try to run, they have nowhere to run. And it worked. I mean, the 49ers averaged throughout the season 4.8 yards per carry. In this game, I think they averaged 3.5. And some of that was a little inflated because Brock Purdy had some scrambles here and there. Uh, but Christian McCaffrey never really got going. Um, the, the run game never really got going. And that's kind of the bread and butter of the Shanahan offense is so much is built off of their run game. And, and Spags was like, we're, we're just going to make Brock Purdy try to beat us. And, you know, Purdy is, you, know, you can have all the debates about whether he's a game manager or not, but he's a capable quarterback in this offense. And he, he's able to work well when the offense is working the way it's supposed to. And this defense, like, did not let them get in their groove. They, they had them out of, sync, out of sync all game long, and that's how they were able to have some success. And thinking about the Cowboys and where they're at right now, transitioning from Dan Quinn to Mike Zimmer, he's kind of, again, we, he's not the same scheme as Bags. He's not the same scheme as Dan Quinn, but he's kind of that same mentality of like we're gonna press you we're gonna we're gonna be physical we're gonna bring extra guys like we are gonna stop the run that is a priority for him and uh that 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 kind of i think lends itself to what the cowboys need to do to beat a team like the 49ers because if you can't beat the 49ers and as an nfc team what are your odds of even getting to the super bowl obviously first you want to be able to beat the packers apparently that's a challenge for them but at the same time, like if, if you want to have that long-term success, you got to be able to beat the 49ers. So that's what I, my takeaway from this was, was what it actually looks like for a defense to break down Kyle Shanahan's offense and make Brock Purdy look like Mr. Irrelevant and, you know, shutting down Christian McCaffrey to where he can't just wreck the game. Uh, and I think, 
I think, I hope Mike Zimmer can bring that same kind of impact. To your point, mine kind of ties in with it, so I'll kind of touch on what I said. I mean, we pretty much brought up the same points, I think, when I looked at the blueprint that Spags had and I look at Mike Zimmer. To me, it's like, like you said, similar philosophy defensively. We'll see what Mike Zimmer does because it's been a little bit, but looking at his roots and where he comes from, it's a very similar style of defense. And to your point, talking about the cover zero percentages that Bob Stern put out, you know, for their 21.4% of cover zero, the average against the 49ers throughout the entire season was 6.2. I mean, that just, it shows you how different he played them and just had no fear. And that's why I think the importance of bringing back someone like a Stephon Gilmore, the importance of having Trayvon Diggs back, when you have a secondary that you can trust, you know, where you have a Legereus Sneed, a Trent McDuffie, guys that you know can shut down a Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, that allows you to do so much more when it comes to sending pressure, sending it from all different angles, using a defensive front that, you know, outside of maybe, I think George Karloff, this is very underrated. I thought he was a great player for them, but Chris Jones is really the guy that makes that Kansas City defense run. Um, I think that those are the two pieces that I kind of brought up, similar to what you were saying, Halman, is that to me, the Cowboys need that dominant defensive tackle. They need traditional linebackers. And that's what the, I think the Chiefs showed you is that when you have all these pieces in place, and the Cowboys are very close to that. Like I said, if they have better linebacker play, if they have maybe one guy that if they do sign maybe a Chris Jones or go out and trade for an Aaron Donald as this all-in move, I doubt it will happen. But I'm just saying, if you get those kind of difference makers up front, I think that you'll see a huge difference in how the Cowboys perform next year, specifically against the 49ers. Thank God they aren't in the AFC where it's a down year for for Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs and you have to run through this entire gauntlet of, of quarterbacks in the AFC and all those dominant teams. Like You can take an opportunity against these vulnerable teams in, in, in the NFC, maybe a little bit more of the inexperienced teams. And I just think that for the Cowboys' flash and what has always been sort of the calling card under Dan Quinn is takeaways, right? In 2021, 2022, they led the NFL in takeaways. And where did that get them? You know, early playoff exits, non-NFC championship contention. Um, you look at the Chiefs this year, they were 27th in the NFL in takeaways with 17. For context, the Panthers were last with 11. It's not really a big margin between the Panthers and the Chiefs in the takeaway department, but the product on the field just looks night and day different. So I think if you throw the takeaway emphasis out the window, and yes, takeaways always help with getting more possessions, and I'm not saying that takeaways are, are a bad thing. I'm just saying when that's sort of what you do best and you kind of take away your sort of run gap, you know, uh, defensive style and, and making sure that you're you're sound in the run defense, the, the teams aren't going to throw against you. They're not going to test your corners because they're just going to keep running the ball. So that takeaway number is going to be non-existent. It's a non-factor at that point. So I just look at the way that the Chiefs were good throughout the playoffs. Of course, Howman, you mentioned the, the dominant San Francisco run team uh, that they've had all season. They took on the number one, the number three, the number six, and the number seven run offenses uh, throughout this playoff run. They had the toughest stretch, according to DVOA, against this playoff teams in the Ravens, the 49ers, Dolphins, and Bills. They held Miami to just 76 yards on the ground off of 18 carries. Baltimore was 16 carries on 81 yards, and then San Francisco, 31 carries, 110. Buffalo was the only outlier, but that's the guy who, you know, Josh Allen could be an anomaly. He could be sort of their entire run offense. We saw James Cook had a great season. But they shut down Lamar. They shut down what the Baltimore Ravens do best and had sort of the best two-game stretch when it came to run defense over the course of the championship game and the Super Bowl. So I agree. I do think that if you kind of figure out a way to, to solidify this run defense and that can coincide with getting better linebackers, better defensive linemen, I think you're going to see this Cowboys defense take a whole nother level uh, and elevate their game under Mike Zimmer. And you just hope that's the case, like what you talked about. We'll see what happens, but you just hope that's the case. Uh, does that sound like a good plan to you, Chris? Uh, just, you know, we need better defensive linemen, better linebackers. It seems like that's something you can agree with. Yeah, I mean, it's something I've been preaching the whole season. And, you know, my takeaway, I really hate to, you know, you know, you know, keep writing this momentum, but I just wrote a whole article today on blogging the boys about the Cowboys defense should study how the Chiefs contain the 49ers in the go. Super Bowl. So I'll elaborate a little bit, you know, uh, um, I'll throw some stats in there that we didn't already mention. 
But, you know, just to put things into perspective of how well this Spags defense played against them, the 49ers averaged 6.6 yards per play, which was a league high during the regular season. They converted 47.5% of their third down attempts, which is the fourth highest in the league, and scored a touchdown on 67.2% of their red zone trips, a league high. That's very impressive. I mean, what a contrast between them and the Cowboys and how they performed in the red zone. However, in the Super Bowl, the Chiefs defense... Um, They only allowed 5.3 yards per play, so that's 1.3 yards less um, per play than the season. They held the 49ers to a 25% conversion rate on third down, so that's going from 47.5 to um, 25. And they only allowed one touchdown and two red zone trips throughout the whole game. So this Spags-led team, you know, they really had an answer for um, for the 49ers the whole night. And, you know, like just looking at the individual playmakers too, they held – Brandon Ayuk, Debo Samuel, and George Kittle each to under 50 receiving yards. That's incredible. I I, I mean, Brandon Ayuk only had 49 receiving yards. Debo only had 33 receiving yards. And George Kittle just had four receiving yards, which was that big catch that he had, you know, um, late in the fourth quarter. And, you know, I I, I, I mean, like we said, they did a great job at limiting Christian McCaffrey in that running game. You know, like they only um, they only allowed him to get 3.6 yards per carry throughout the game. And um, Brian Baldinger, he did a little um, a breakdown of the film. And on third downs, they were running um, f- um, they were running man coverage with their cornerbacks, and they were sending five rushers at Brock Purdy, and they had a spy as well. So they were really just trying to contain Brock Purdy in the pocket and get pressure on him and rely on those sticky cornerbacks and coverage to really just, you know, stay on their guys and, you know, make those playmakers or Brock Purdy pull off a miraculous play and beat them. The only answer that the uh, 49ers had the whole night was really Jawan Jennings, who, in my opinion, probably would have won Super Bowl MVP had they won because, you know, like that's just something, you know, when you have so many playmakers, it's hard to take every single person out the game. But I think, you know, if you um, – I think if you talked to Spags prior to that game and said, hey, the only guy who's really going to be beating you throughout the game is Jawan Jennings, I think he'd be okay with that. So I think that Mike Zimmer should really, you know, spend spend a long time just studying what this Chiefs defense did to that 49ers offense throughout the Super Bowl because, you know, this was a real testament of defense wins championships. And it helps when that defense also has, you know, the best quarterback of this generation and who's making a big claim to, you know, really – challenge Tom Brady as the best of all time by the time his career is over. But I mean, it, it, it wasn't Patrick Mahomes who won them that game, despite how, you know, clutch he was in the fourth and how clutch he was in overtime. It was that defense keeping them in the game while their offense wasn't able to get going. And B1, to that point, I mean, you could also look at the 49ers. Like, they had a great defensive game plan, too. I think up until that point, I mean, it, it was a boring Super Bowl to a lot of people because there was an offensive scoring. Nobody really likes, you know, in baseball when there's a no-hitter going, everybody just, you know, until it gets to the eighth, ninth, you know, people don't really tune in until then because it's just it's boring. It's defensive baseball, defensive football. And so when you look at the 49ers, too, I mean, Fred Warner, Drake Greenlaw until he got injured, which was a horrible thing to see. I just I feel horrible for him. Uh, but Willie Gay, Nick Bolton, Drew Tranquil, Leo Chenault. I mean, these are all guys that across both teams, you have dominant linebackers, people who, you know, they know how to play the position. And when you just look at the Cowboys this year, you just think and and for all the great things Marquise Bell was able to do he wasn't a traditional linebacker he was playing out of position we've talked about that all throughout the season and even into the offseason you just think that if they had those types of players on their team they could have been the Chiefs they could have been the 49ers in this position uh, because their defensive line was was solid throughout the entire year maybe defensive tackle was a little suspect but they still had Jonathan Hankins you know you had that sort of big beefy guy up in the middle so even when you look at the 49ers to be one like both teams had a great defensive game plan. And, and to Chris's point, it looked like yesterday that it was going to be a true test of defensive win, de- defenses win championships despite all your offensive numbers throughout the year. Oh, 100%. And I mean, when you when you hold the Chiefs, you know, to 25 points, and that includes overtime, that's that's pretty good. Same thing, you know, on the other side, the Chiefs held, in, you know, the Niners at 22 points. I think the, the, the other part is you guys make great points, you know, regarding, the, you know, these defenses. And I think outside of the edge rushing category, because obviously the Cowboys have one of the most elite edge rushing uh, uh, groups in the league, that front seven is has been suspect. Like, Hankins is good. He's serviceable, but I don't, you know, he's not a guy you're going to, you know, build your interior of your defensive line on, you know, like, I, you know, 
nothing against Hank. I, lo- I, I love him as a, a good rotational player. I just, at this point in his career, I just, you know, that's, that's what he is. He's, you know, he's a good depth player, but you know, the difference is, you know, Kansas city has Chris Jones and Chris Jones is, you know, he's in that Aaron Donald category is one of the most best, you know, one of the best uh, defensive interior linemen in the league. Like he's just, he's just that good. And then of course, you know, you have the, you know, the linebackers with the chiefs are, are solid, like a Willie Gay and Drew Tranquil. Like those are, those are some good players. So like on the other side of it, the Niners, the Niners, like they're up front is pretty good. I would say, obviously for me, the interior of the Kansas City Chiefs with Chris Jones, I think is superior to the Niners, but I don't think it's that far off. But I would say that the Niners have the best linebacking duo in the in the league. I mean, unfortunately, with, with uh, Dre Greenlaw with the Achilles, you know, you know that was just like you mentioned B two, like that was just that was unfortunate because you, you just you know not only was a Super Bowl and you're you know you're in a big game, but you know a guy that's that talented, you want you want him out there. Like he's just a good player. He just makes great plays. And with him and Fred Warner, like that is that to me is the best linebacking duo in the league. Like I don't, I don't think, and I don't think people are going to give me flack for that because I think Fred Warner is the best linebacker and you know best pure linebacker in the league. Like he's just that good. I feel like he's head and shoulders above everybody else in, at that position. So I think it helps that you have linebackers. And and, and, and to your point, B two, like Marquise Bell did what he had to do, but let's be honest, he's a traditional safety. Like he's, he's in a way he is playing out of position. He has the skill sets of, of a linebacker, but unfortunately the size just doesn't add up. Like Fred Warner's a, you know, a much bigger guy. So, you know, for me, it's, you know, that's how I, that's how I look at it as well. Like you guys have made some great points where if they can shore up the defensive interior, maybe get another, another bowl, maybe in the free agent market or in the draft. I mean, I'm not, I'm not asking the Cowboys to draft another, uh, a DT in, in round one, but maybe they find some some extra beef in the middle rounds of the draft, or they go and get you know go get somebody in free agency that they like. I mean, like you mentioned, Chris Jones, but you know I think he's going to stay with the Chiefs. I think I think they're going to work something out there. And then on the linebacking side, I think the Cowboys are obviously going to shore things up. You know, I mean, I'm not expecting the Cowboys to have a Greenlaw and, and Warner type of uh, linebacking duo, but if we can get some quality play from that position and have more traditional linebackers in there and pair it up with another stout defensive tackle. I think with the approach of, you know, of a, of, of a Mike Zimmer, I think you can make that work. And, and, you know, to kind of put a capper on, on how, uh, how Spags approach the defense and Tony Romo spotted it out and Tony Romo of anybody, you know, he knows, he knows Spags pretty well from, uh, especially from Spags days, with the New York Giants. So he knows, Tony Romo knows it very well. And and you could see it. Like I'm listening to the broadcast and then Tony on those third and fourth downs, he's like, you know, Spags is going to throw the whole deck at, you know, at Brock Purdy. And guess what? Every single time there was a situation like that, he just stuck it in there. He's like, you know what? I trust my corners. I'm going to bring pressure, make Brock Purdy have a rush decision. I think teams and you guys have brought up all the numbers of, you know, cover zero, cover one, you know, for example, I think teams are, I think teams are in generally speaking are afraid of the Niners weapons and they want to play it safe and, and, and have, you know, have two safeties sit there in a cover two type of setting where they don't want to get beat over the top. But I think, I think Spags, I think Spags brought, you know, brought something that other, you know, it's a copy t- copycat league in the NFL. I think you're going to see more of, you know, a cover zero where they're just, they're going to bring eight guys, you know, for example, you know, seven, eight guys and just and just go after them and, and say, you know what, we're going to trust our corners. We're going to get to Brock really quick. I think that's going to be a formula for the Cowboys to be successful, especially against, uh, you know, Shanahan's, Kyle Shanahan's offense and then Brock Purdy. Brock Purdy's a good player, but if you get him, if you get him rushed just like any other player, he's bound to make mistakes. And, and, and you saw what happened. You saw the fruits of those, uh, of those uh, results and those play calls by Spags. I mean, I think I think Spags, the way he draw he drew up those plays to blitz on those third crucial third and fourth downs, that to me is more so I think the keys to the game, and I think that's what Kansas City. I think that's how they won the game. I mean, obviously Mahomes did what he did, but to me, if Spags doesn't call those plays on third and fourth downs, the Niners are picking up those first downs, and they're and I think they win. I think they win the Super Bowl. So I, I think Spags Spags should get an MVP trophy. I think he I think he just did a hell of a job, and uh, 
And I think you're going to see other teams, including the Cowboys, take that blueprint and apply it to the Niners next year. Yeah, and it's funny. I agree with everything of what we talked about. It. I just think it's funny how you know three out of the four of us approached it with a defensive philosophy and how the Cowboys can kind of learn something from that. Because I think when you look at the results from the regular season, I think that they performed way above expectations in Mike McCarthy's first year as offensive play caller. And then when you look at the defensive side, I think people would say that it was a down year for Dan Quinn in the defense relative to expectations. I think that everybody thought the Cowboys would have a really top five Five, top three defense um, and while they did win a lot of major categories I just think the way the season ended and how kind of the egg was laid against the Green Bay Packers that was left a little bit more to be desired so I think that if they take a little bit more from the defensive approach I think if the offense still kind of stays where it was last year I think they're going to be firing on all cylinders so uh, with that said we're going to close it out with just a little bit more Mike Zimmer talk and talk about maybe one player we're excited to see in his defense of course I think it's a blank canvas. You could say, I mean, it could be anybody. And we saw that with Dan Quinn. Uh, it was the safeties that kind of came out of nowhere in his image to be like, oh, wow, the safety position is is something that we could see be a dominant force for the Cowboys defense. So it could kind of go in any direction. So, Chris, actually, no, Howman, I'll start with you. Then we'll go to Chris. Then we'll go to B1. Uh, Howman, who's one player that you just would love to see kind of excel in Mike Zimmer's defense? I'm so glad you let me go first because – I was worried my answer got might get taken, and and that really, I mean, I'm excited about to see all these players because I think there there's a lot of potential, especially with what Mike Zimmer likes to do. Um, but really, I'm I'm super pumped to see how Mike Zimmer is going to use Donovan Wilson. And you know, as I was writing my article, kind of breaking down Zimmer's scheme, um, looking at both how he coordinates the front seven and then what he does with the coverage on the back end. Um, looking at what he did in Minnesota over all those years, specifically Harrison Smith turning into like a perennial pro bowler, all pro under him. And he just, Zimmer just kind of used Harrison Smith all over the place. He was a blitzer. He was, he would come down in the box and stuff the run. He excelled in, in the split zone and the, the, whether it was cover two or quarters coverage, whatever he was doing, he was a really good uh, back end pass coverage guy. Um, and Zimmer just kind of knew, like, he he can help out in a lot of different ways. He, he's not going to be, like, solely a box defender. He's not solely going to be, like, you, you don't want to be playing him as that, like, deep middle, like, kind of the Earl Thomas role that he had in Seattle under Dan Quinn. And Donovan Wilson is kind of a similar player of, like, he can thrive if you move him around like that. He, he's We've seen his ability as a blitzer. We've seen his ability as, like, a thumper in the run game. And also, I mean, he's shown he, – he didn't have a whole lot of opportunities to really produce any coverage these last couple of years because of the, the fact that Malik Hooker was there and they wanted him playing kind of that, that deep middle of the field. Um, but Wilson has shown an ability to play the ball really well. He got – you know, he's had plenty of interceptions in the past. He's able to be that playmaker, and he has some range to him in coverage. And so I'm just really excited to see how Zimmer uses Wilson. And if he kind of puts him in that similar role to what you saw out of Harrison Smith, obviously they're different players. It's not going to be the exact same thing, but it's similar enough to where I'm like, Donovan Wilson could just, he, he could be entering the next phase of his career and absolutely blowing up with Zimmer calling this defense. Uh, I'll go next, actually, because, man, you you and I have, and we're in lockstep. My <laughs> player was also Donovan Wilson, and I'll go next because I don't want anybody to regurgitate the same information about Wilson that I'm going to talk about. Um, and this is actually, this comes from Skywalker Steel um, on Twitter that you guys should check out all the great stuff he does with Cowboys coverage. Um, he said that under Zim, Harrison Smith blitzed 135 times between 2018 and 2021. Dan Quinn dialed back Donovan Wilson in 2023, only blitzing him 17 times. But in 2022, he led the position in quarterback hits while blitzing 30 times. And I kind of quote tweeted on top of that saying that when it comes to Donovan Wilson and his pass rush ability, his blitzing ability, I always liked the way that he was able to be used all over the place under Dan Quinn when he got here in 21. And the numbers kind of back it up. According to PFF, in their pass rush grade among all safeties across the NFL, and this isn't regardless of uh, percentages of pass rushes, snaps, and all that stuff. In 2021, he was 8th. In 2022, he was 7th. And then last year, uh, he was 12th. So clearly, a little bit of a down year, I think, last year in part because he missed time with that calf injury. I don't think maybe he was ever 100% healthy. Um, and I just think that maybe they wanted to kind of temper what he was doing. But when you look at him in 22 and 21, he was top 10 both of those seasons across all safeties. So I agree with you, Howman, that I think he could be used just like a Micah Parsons. And if you have two chess pieces you can use all over the place on top of what you could do with Demarcus Lawrence, like we've been saying, like 
the Dallas defense is right there. It's not like that Mike Zimmer's going to have to come in and retool everything and, you know, get different players and all. Like, no, the pieces are in place. Yeah, you have somebody like a Dante Fowler and a Dorrance Armstrong who could leave that are rotational pass rushers that, you know, might take away what you can have in pass rush, uh, you know, packages and stuff like that. But then, okay, Sam Williams, step up. Draft a guy, step up. You know, maybe you get another guy in free agency um, that Mike Zimmer likes, you know, have them step up. So I wouldn't worry about that too much. So, uh, Chris, you you pick your guy next. Hopefully it's not Donovan <laughs> Wilson. If it is, you could talk about him all you want. It's not. Um, hey, hey, listen, great minds think alike. So, but no, it's not. Um, it is actually going to be DeMarvian Overshown. It's a guy who I really wanted to see play this past season. His injury in the preseason was super unfortunate. But, you know, Mike Zimmer's scheme has always been really friendly to linebackers in the past. I mean, if you look at Minnesota, um, um, with um, a bar who also ended up playing for the Cowboys a little later, you know, he made a pro bowl four years in a row. And then in the 2015 draft, they grabbed, um, uh, um, uh, they um, grabbed Eric Kendricks in the second round and he became an all pro by his fourth season. And then you can look at his final year with the Bengals. Mike Zimmer turned Vontez perfect into a pro bowler as well. So, you know, the off ball linebacker position has been really successful in Mike Zimmer's schemes. I think Overshone is probably the most talented off-ball linebacker the Cowboys might have, you know. I mean, like, he really shined in the preseason, and he was a guy who I wanted heading into the draft, too. You know, I didn't think the Cowboys reached on him like some people did. I was excited about the pick. And, you know, um, throughout the preseason, he showed his range, um, you know, his uh, sideline-to-sideline range and his coverage abilities and his ability to just be all over the field. So I'm really excited for Overshone, and I think that – you know, I think that he could have had a big season um, this past season with Dan Quinn, but I think he's going to have an even bigger season with um, uh, Mike Zimmer as his coordinator. It's funny because B1, you can By the pick- way, oh, real quick, Chris, you mentioned Vontaze Perfect. I just have to point out Pride of Arizona State. I mean, all, <laughs> all credit to Mike Zimmer. He's made some really great players, but Perfect's one of those guys. When they come from Arizona State, you know you're getting an all pro. You could say that that <laughs> linebacker was perfect. You know, it's just everything. Uh, about um, <laughs> I, you know, how I, I think we're asking Mike Zimmer to kind of bring the traditional linebacker back to Dallas, but we're not saying to the point where Anthony Barr and Eric Kendricks are your starting linebackers for, for Dallas. I mean, that, that would be a great storyline, you know, him bringing back his old guys, but I know Eric Hendricks is still under contract with the Chargers, but with Jim Harbaugh coming and maybe they cut him, and then all of a sudden you have both of them free agents. I, we're not asking you to do that, Mike Zimmer. We're, we're asking kind of bring in younger guys to, to kind of handle it. So uh, B1, close this out. Who's the one player that you're most excited to see? Uh, Micah Parsons is, of course, the obvious. If you want to go obvious, go chalk. No, I'm not going to go. I won't go obvious. That's too easy. I mean, let's be honest. I mean, B, B2, uh, you know, and Hallman, you both you both stole my thunder with Wilson. He was on. So it would have been three out of four. Uh, Pick someone different if you want. Well, yeah, no, yeah, I, I did. I wasn't going to go. I wasn't going to go completely chalk. Overshone was a good a good choice by Chris as well. But for me, what have we what have we, what have we hyped up about with uh, with Zimmer? Press coverage. You know, it was really good at press coverage. Trayvon Diggs, uh, he you know he's he's one of the one of the elite press coverage corners in the in the league. Obviously, he's coming off the ACL injury. I mean, let's go back you know back to 2021. PFF had him as the number one uh, in press coverage uh, corner in the league. Uh, so he, you know he's pretty good at that press coverage thing. So for me, you know, I want to see obviously one. I want to see him nice and healthy. That ACL is ready to rock and roll. He's he's back to back to that ball hawk that uh, we all know and love. Because you know putting him on one side and having Deron Bland on the other side. It's going to be a lot of fun. I think. I think the cornerbacks are going to be. We're going to see. I know. I know you guys were talking. You know, Wilson. I think. I think that's fair. But I. I think the cornerbacks are going to be. It's going to be a lot of fun because a lot of these. I mean, Deron Bland. I think he's going to. He's going to flourish as well in press coverage. You know, just like Trayvon. So I think, and then obviously bringing Stephon Gilmore back. I think that's. I think the trio of them under Mike Zimmer is going to be really good. Now, you know, with Trayvon Diggs in particular, like, yeah, he's, he's one of the best press press corner guys in the league. I think with Zimmer's design, I feel like he can get back to form and, and, and get double digit interceptions again. Like he's just, he's just so good. And I think, I think a guy like Zimmer coming in is going to make Trayvon Diggs uh, back. You know, he's going to, I think he's going to have a bounce back year. 
I you know he might you know maybe look at him comeback player of the year kind of a deal because he came off of you know a severe you know severe injury ACLs are no joke as we've seen with Michael Gallup so I'm I'm really I'm pulling for Trayvon to uh, I think we all are uh, to uh, come back come back real strong and and I think under Zimmer. I think he's going to have a heck of a season in 2024 and don't count out Deron Bland. I feel like, I feel like we could have two guys with, you know, seven or eight interceptions next year. I, I think that press coverage is going to help a lot. And I think with the pressure that the, the, the past, you know, our pass rushing unit is going to get on quarterbacks. I feel like our, our cornerbacks are going to get a lot, a lot of interceptions next year. And I wouldn't be surprised if both Deron Bland and Diggs, I'm calling my shot early on, I think they're both going to have at least seven picks next year. I think they're going to be ball hogging it, baby. Man, then that completely shoots down my point of takeaways aren't important uh, for the Cowboys uh, to kind of go off the Chiefs lesson. So, hey, listen, I, that's not like I mentioned before. That's a good problem to have. Um, and I just, I, I also think uh, to what you're saying, it, it's just it's fun to see kind of fresh eyes, a new look of the defense, and kind of see what yeah. happens. And I think that's why it's also important to bring back someone like a Stephon Gilmore who mentioned while in Vegas that he wants to come back. Of course, his relationship with Brandon Cooks, and not to mention Zimmer has had great success with aging corners in the NFL with a Patrick Peterson and a Terrence Newman at the time, longtime Cowboy, uh, when he followed him to Cincinnati and then also to Minnesota. So I think that that would be really good to see. And again, what's Stephon Gilmore's calling card? Man coverage. I think that that's something that we'd love oh. to see too. So again, be sure to check out all of our stuff on Twitter, on X, all of our stuff at bloggingtheboys.com. Again, up-to-date news on now everything happening with Mike Zimmer, some sort of ideas of maybe players he could bring in from free agency, where the philosophy might go with the draft. Now that the Cowboys finally have a direction and where they're going to go on defense, I think that's exciting. And then, of course, like I mentioned before, with the draft, everything's going to be coming up pretty soon. Like I said, I said to you guys last week, maybe we'll start talking about draft stuff this week. No, we're going to push that to next week. We're going to start doing that, looking at pick number 24, where the Cowboys could go uh, in the first round. So for David Hallman, Brandon Clements, and Chris Halling, I am Brandon Laurie. Thanks again for listening to the Writer's Block Podcast. And until next time, go Cowboys. Cowboys.